It's the MGPT Top 5 at 5. All right, time for the MGPT Top 5 at 5. It's brought to you by Matt Black Kia. They want to get you approved today. Matt Black Kia, Black Horse Pike, Egg Harbor Township. The MGPT Top 5 at 5 today. It's our top five favorite MLB managers. These were guys that we loved watching with the strategy. We talked about strategy in baseball, the DH. You know, these managers got to be National League managers. They have to actually do something. Can't be an American League manager. He's not doing anything and make this list, can you? Oh, I got some AL managers. I mean, they're not doing anything. Oh, yes, they are. Here's my nine guys today. No, they got to manage the clubhouse. Here's my DH. He hits a lot of uh, 230. The culture in the locker room. It's exciting when the DH comes back. Well, some of back. these guys back in the day actually had DHs to work with. That's true. Back in the day. Not anymore. All right, MGPT top five at five. Mike Gill, Hunter Brody, and the PT. Yeah, I'm with I'm with Hunter. I mean, I have an American League guy on my list and another guy that managed the American League. Uh, we already read, read your managed. list off already. Yeah, I heard Josh gave a little preview of what he thought my list would be too. I mean, don't ruin the bit here. I mean, you know, well, yeah, we're just let saying. Maybe me. me we're just he, saying that you being you is very predictable. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. People like consistency. <laughs> All right, Peter. Let's start us off. My number five is Bobby Valentine. Makes my list because of a member of the media. When you're a member of the media, you want a guy that's going to be receptive, and he liked the media so much he went into it after he retired. Plus, the time he snuck back in the dugout with that fake mustache and <laughs> hoped he wouldn't get caught. Forget about it. That's hilarious. Right? Big league clubs, Rangers, Mets, and Red Sox. Of course, not one, but two stints overseas with the Chiba Latte Marines over there in Japan. His career record in the big leagues just over 500, but for all he does with his comments and his media work, I mean, I had to put Bobby V on my list. That's the name of the restaurant and sports bar that he has in Stamford, Connecticut, by the way. Bobby Valentine is my number five favorite manager. Not to mention, he's been a guest on this show many times. I love it. Every time I hear him, I'm, I didn't make I'm my locked list. in. My list is uh, more of the guys of today because that's kind of what I grew up watching when it comes to baseball. And a lot of these people on my list still in the game today, but also they've had hell of careers and then they've been in there for a little bit of time as well. But my number five is actually Joe Girardi. And uh, I love what he did with the Yankees. See, I, I have a weird – I know you, you're you not a big Yankee guy. You think that a lot of their fans don't love baseball because they love the AL. And I get that mindset, no doubt about it. I'm not knocking it. But I'm so fascinated with – the way that people love Yankee baseball because we talked about it here in Philadelphia we're sort of kind of fake baseball fans when it comes to this city baseball fake fans I would say compared to some other teams out there I love the way that they they talk baseball in New York so I weirdly follow the Yankees behind the scenes if they're playing one night I have it on the second TV I love watching Yankees baseball so when it comes to Joe Girardi one I'm stoked that he's here in Philadelphia now but two I really did enjoy watching his career over with the Yankees, obviously winning the World Series. I loved him as a player as well, actually. And don't forget about that Marlins year that he had, which was pretty damn respected based off the fact that they didn't have much um, you know, much talent there. I, just, I love what he brings to the table. If there's a knock, maybe it's the young guys and not allowing the young guys to get going as much as maybe some would want him to. But I think that maybe he turns the page here in Philly 
because he had some time off and he realizes he has to change a little bit. But yeah, I like what Joe Girardi's brought to the table from a culture standpoint. Knows the game. All right, uh, I'm going number five. I always loved watching this guy manage. Like these were guys. The managers were characters when we were growing up. They had up. personalities. They had personality. They were characters. And uh, you actually had a name for this guy's managerial style, Whitey Herzog. It was Whitey Ball, the style of play based on strategy, which was nicknamed Whitey Ball. Uh, he concentrated on pitching, speed, defense, stolen bases. I mean, when you watch the Cardinals play with Willie McGee and Vince Coleman, they were stealing bases all over the place. And then you had a guy uh, like Jack Clark, you know, banging home runs. So he really, you know, we talked about it with Mike Sielski on Friday. You built your team based on your stadium and the style of play based on your ballpark. They built Whitey Ball because of Bush Stadium, the way that it was its dimensions in the AstroTurf. Uh, and Herzog was great, by the way. He was the Rangers manager before that. Uh, he was one of the winningest managers of all time. He's a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. But if you remember his time, uh, really, with the St. Louis Cardinals is where he had his biggest run of success. He was the NL Manager of the Year for the 85 Cardinals, the World Series champion Cardinals in 82. His number 24 there is retired. But I love that style of whitey ball, the whole you know, pitching speed, defense, all that style. We talk about strategy, strategy, strategy. That's baseball, and that's why Whitey Herzog is in my list, number five. Mike, I can't uh, can't be more thrilled that you picked Whitey Herzog as your number five because my number four is also old school, but he's like anti-strategy, and that would be Earl Weaver. At number four, I'm going with Earl Weaver, Baltimore Orioles. Spent his entire 17-year managerial career with Baltimore, 68 until 82, then again from 85 and 86. His style of managing was summed up in the quote, pitching, defense, and a three-run homer. He did not believe in placing emphasis on the small ball tactics, such as stolen bases, hit and run, or sacrifice bunts, but he had unbelievable quotes. I wish I worked in Baltimore when he was the skipper. The job of arguing with the umpire belongs to the manager because it won't hurt the team if he gets thrown out of the game. Nobody likes to hear it because it's dull, but the reason you win or lose is darn near always the same. Pitching. On my deep tombstone, just write the sorest loser that ever lived. I mean, you think any of those things would have fit in Philly? Heck yes. He won a World Series in 1970. Orioles retired as number four. He's in the Orioles Hall of Fame, National Baseball Hall of Fame, two ninety-six Veterans Committee. And those legendary arguments with the umpires. I mean, come on, Earl Weaver. That's my number four favorite manager of all time. Gil, you wanted a National League type guy. I'll give you a National League type guy. Dustin Baker. Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker has been in the National League his entire career, except actually for this upcoming one where he is with the Houston Astros now after the whole debacle. It'll be interesting to see how his personality and his culture kind of changes what happened there when it comes to uh, to that whole entire thing. I mean, you really got to have someone in there who's respected. Let's see if maybe some news comes out that they're still continuing to do it with someone like Baker in the mix. I really highly doubt that, but 
He spent a lot of time with the San Francisco Giants, 10 years to be exact, before moving to the Cubs. And then he had a six-year window with the Cincinnati Reds before going to the Washington Nationals. He seems like a dude from the outside who's kind of dry a bit. But I feel like when you're in the mix and you're like a baseball guy who's been around the MLB for a while, you, you understand his personality a little differently. You know what I mean? I feel it's like it's, it's hard to connect insanely as much as some of these players do from the outsiders. He's not very... You know, his personality doesn't pop, I'd say, when it comes to the media, but he's just a baseball guy. You know, sometimes you just have that, that baseball vibe to you. It's Dusty Baker. It's been around a long time. The toothpick. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Just always hanging out. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Uh, number four for me, I went with uh, Tommy Lasorda. Uh, he was a character in himself. I mean, when he would come to Philly, he would get into it all the time. Uh, with the uh, Fanatic, you'd see them. Uh, him and the Fanatic generally didn't like each other, it seemed like. Do you think that was an act there, PT? No, it was real. I mean, the only thing came to uh, blows. That's my number three. I'll talk more about it in a minute. But uh, he tried to fight the Fanatic, tried to rip his head right. off. He was, really uh, yeah, so <laughs> uh, he's a guy whose style of managing would never work today. You know, it's... Uh, uh, it was definitely, you know, we talk about, like, these managers that I'm picking out, they had a certain style. They had a way that they did things. You know, we talked about Whitey Herzog. They were pitching in defense. Lasorda was a little different. Um, you know, he was uh, kind of, those Dodger teams, Lasorda was almost the star of the team. Like, he was almost as known, if not better known, than his players. And how many guys do you see manage? He was there from 1976 to 1996. I mean, can you imagine seeing a guy be the manager of the team for 20 years, 1,600 wins almost, and almost 1,500 losses? Uh, but he was a character, and still uh, he went on to be an executive. He was the manager for USA Baseball. Uh, he still... When you think of the Dodgers, you think of Tommy Lasorda. He is still so recognized with that team and uh, just love watching uh, Lasorda manage those teams. He had his own little style, his own little way. Uh, but back then, I guess you could say, PT, he was uh, almost as big a star as his players were. I would agree with that. I mean, and that's why I put him as my number three, because even when he was trying to fist fight the Philly fanatic, you know, he was only doing it because he was passionate about his own team. I mean, the guy is from Norristown, Pennsylvania. That's right next to where I grew up. So he always felt like one of us. You know, Gil said 20 years is the Dodger skipper, two-time World Series champion, 81 and 88, two-time NL manager of the year, 98, 93, and 98. Uh, he's retired. He's number two retired by the Dodgers, National Baseball Hall of Fame. He's the oldest living Hall of Famer right now. I mean, he's still going at 92. And given the anecdote after his last game with the Dodgers in 96, they, they won 4-3 over the Houston Astros at Dodger Stadium. That's June 23rd, 1994. The next day he goes to the hospital and says, yeah, I got some stomach pain. He was having a heart attack. <laughs> He officially retired in 96, but like Gil said, he went to the Olympics in Sydney and took them to a gold third base coach. When he That was the time he got knocked on his butt and everybody was laughing, but he coached the Dodgers in spring training once, and Joe Torre had to go to Taiwan, an honorary coach under Don Mattingly when Don Mattingly was on there. You, you name it. I mean, the, just the people. And you talk about it, the names, Gil. He did manage. He had, he had nine National League rookies of the year. Rick Sutcliffe, Steve Howe. Fernando Valenzuela and Steve Sachs, 79-82, and then 92-95, Eric Karros, Mike Piazza, Raul Mondesi, and Hideo Nomo. And even before he retired, following that season, he managed 
Todd Hollinsworth, who was the 96 Rookie of the Year. So, I mean, the guy cranked out good baseball players and has a great career, and he's my number three. It is funny, though, to to kind of see the difference in the lists here because the personalities of the people that you guys are mentioning, it, it was just completely different back then than it is today. I mean, they, they were the team. You think a player, you think of baseball now, and you think more players than manager, but back then I feel like it was so arguably a little bit different. You think of the personality of the manager more so than some of the players at times, and it just isn't that way anymore. But this is the baseball I grew up watching, so this is kind of what it is. So for me, it's Joe Madden at number three, and specifically that Chicago Cubs team that won the World Series and finished the drought was definitely magnificent. It did run a little bit dry towards the end with the Chicago Cubs, but um, what he did throughout his entire career, starting with Tampa Bay, actually before that it was the Angels, and then it was Tampa Bay, and then the Chicago Cubs to finish it, and winning that World Series was definitely special, and you talk about PA there, PT. He is also a PA guy. Uh, I like that one. All right, uh, you might hear him on my list somewhere. We'll see. Uh, number three for me, man, you talk about um, this guy almost was the Phillies manager. Well, the fans wanted him to be the manager, and that's Jim Leland. Yeah, yeah Jim yeah. Leland was, man, I remember him with the Pirates. You'd see him in the dugout sucking on a heater, puffing on a cigarette down there. You know, uh, that guy looked like he just took down a carton of cigarettes every single day. That's what Jim Leland just looked like. He looked like a guy who sucked on a carton of cigarettes, but he was a tremendous manager with the Pirates, and then he won the World Series with the Marlins, and then again he won another World Series with the Tigers. And oddly, with all the success that he had, we talk about those Pirate teams. Remember, he was the manager there when Barry Bonds was there. Um, he wins that World Series with the uh, – he's a three-time – manager of the year he gets that world series with the marlins he gets the tigers who have been a you know a laughing stock for you know forever uh to finally get back to the postseason um and his style too he had his own style where you know the players loved playing for jim leland but if you remember phillies fans they wanted jim leland to be the manager and they ended up passing on leland and they went with uh charlie manuel instead uh, who knows what would have happened if Jim Leland um, would have been the manager of the Phillies, but he's a guy who uh, was so memorable in all of his stops. I mean, you can remember him. I, I mean, the Pirates is what sticks out the most, but even being the manager of the Detroit Tigers, a, a franchise that, you know, in our lifetime just really did not do all that much, and he got them, um, you know, to be a, a playoff team. So Jim Leland deserves to be on the list for me he's up there and uh i go jim leland number three by the way his uh record one se 1769 and 1728 just 506 i was floored when i read that got that world series though with MD, the, Flo with the florida marlins him on there and i also love you know you're sitting talking there about the heater he, he had a great duster and i know how much you love the mustaches i'm Shocked you didn't much mention the duster instead of just the the, the cigarettes True. sneaking out of the front of it. True. Yes, um, he did yeah. have a nice duster, that's and awesome uh, that you... that's part of the reason why he looks like a guy who would suck down a carton of cigarettes. <laughs> uh, I love that he's year number three because it segues into my number two, and that would be Charles Fuqua Manuel. I mean, I really struggled between my number two and my number one, but 
Charlie makes my list number two. I mean, like everyone else, I'm, I'm just like everybody else. I was disappointed when the Phillies didn't get Jim Leland to manage the ball club, and they ended up with what to me sounded like foghorn, leghorn. I mean, now looky here, son. Uh, uh, there's a little something yee about a boy that don't like baseball. <laughs> He's about as sharp as a bowling ball. I mean, he was getting through that little old blue bonnet of yours. <laughs> But Manuel won me in the city of Philadelphia over. His ability to insert the right hitter at the right time was pretty epic. I loved it. Also, when he took a certain radio host down the hallway and into his office where he threatened to kick his rear end, I loved that. I love that he loves to talk hitting. That's his forte, although there were some times where the Phillies let him down. I know there are people out there, the haters, that like to nitpick some of his decisions. One of the biggest being him not using Cliff Lee in Game 4 of the 9 World Series. But to me, Uncle Charlie will always be the guy that was the friend, the guiding hand, the gentle voice of the baseball lifer that led the Phillies back to a world championship, world effing champions, Charlie Manuel. That's my number two favorite manager of all time. I'm actually surprised he's not number one, PT. I'm not going to lie to you. But my number two... Terry Franco. Now, here in Philadelphia, it wasn't as if it was the greatest time of his managerial career. But once he left here and he went to Boston, he won a couple World Series. And then in 2016 with the Cleveland Indians, he had one hell of a run, which I thought that they were actually going to be able to do it. But they just fell short. He is a baseball guy, a definition of a baseball guy. And he seems to have more personality than most in today's game uh, just consistent, consistent winning with a lot of the teams that he is on. After, of course, his time here in Philly, I have to bring that up. It was not the, the most pleasant time of his career. But once he left here, you're talking about 90-plus wins in Boston consistently, 102 wins with the Cleveland Indians in uh, 2017. He just consistently wins, and players love to play for him. So that is my number two. Uh, two for me is Manuel as well. Uh, Manuel, as we just mentioned, uh, 1,000 wins. People didn't realize he went out with 1,000 career wins right on the money. 1,826 was his managerial record for 548. Uh, all those years in Cleveland. Uh, people forget how good he was in Cleveland before he even came to Philly, uh, which was interesting, though. But when the Phillies hired him to be the manager, they wanted Jim Leland. They wanted somebody else, even though he had all this success as the manager in Cleveland. Um, the Philly fans just could not come to terms that you were getting kind of this country guy to be the leader of the Phillies. And, of course, uh, they warmed up to him, and he finally ends up winning that world champions. And now uh, you can make a case that he's one of the most popular figures in team history. Um, there's not too many that stand to be more popular than uh, Charlie Manuel when it comes to the Phillies. In fact, he got hired last year to come back to be the hitting coach, and people thought that he should have been the manager of the team uh, when he got hired back. Now, Charlie is 76 years old, so managing a baseball team in today's uh, you know style of play probably wouldn't go. But his style of play, grip it and rip it, hitting season. When it got warm, we're going to start hitting the baseball. Uh, he was certainly a fan of the three-run homer, and uh, that was his style of trying to hit the ball over the fence. And he was noted for his hitting uh, coach, uh, you know, career uh, before the Phillies and after the Phillies, and of course uh, winning that World Series with the Phillies. So Charlie Manuel. Uh, by the way, you remember those Phillies? One, two, three, four, five times in a row they finished first in the East, and two times before that they finished second in the East. So they had two seconds. 
five firsts and a third before he finally got fired at 53 and 67. Think about that. You finish in second place, first place, third place, and then you're fired uh, after that. But uh, the wheels were kind of going off the cart there for Charlie towards the end. It wasn't really his fault so much as the team was just kind of falling apart. But even in Cleveland, uh, he was second in the AL, first in the AL, made it to the playoffs, and then got fired after three seasons in uh, in Cleveland. So, Charlie, number two. Yeah, they'd lost 15 out of 20 after the All-Star break when he got fired there, Gil, and replaced by Ryan Sandberg. And the players like felt bad about it. The media quickly blamed the management more than Charlie, you know, saying that he didn't have the right pieces to win. The so, picture of uh, him yeah, walking he, out with the Wawa uh, bag. The Wawa bag. It breaks my heart when I saw that. But that's, you know, there's always uh, room for redemption, you know, including for my number one. It was fired from the Phillies and moved on and came back. And see, Hunter, you were surprised that Charlie wasn't my number one, but you have to keep in mind my age. I'm 49, so my number one is Dallas Green. At six foot five, the guy towered over you. He had a booming voice, so right away you knew not to mess with him. He replaced Danny Ozark to start the 79 season, and right away rubbed his players the wrong way. He said, quote, I'm a screamer, I'm a yeller, and I'm a cusser. I never hold back. And that's exactly what the Phillies needed at that point. He essentially stayed in the Phillies organization forever. You never really leave, except for that time when he went to the Cubs and bamboozled the Phils into throwing in Ryan Sandberg in the Larry Boa Yvonne de Jesus trade. Er, still mad about that. Clash with Greg Luzinski, Larry Boa, Bob Boone when he first became skipper, came to blows. Now, how many times does the manager actually physically strike one of his players? Came to blows with relief pitcher Ron Reed. This is my kind of skipper, the one who's going to get on you to do it right. And then he pissed off Chicago when he dared to move the Cubs from Wrigley Field and the city of Chicago was dragging its feet about getting him lights. That didn't win him many friends at that point either. I mean, you don't think that Dallas Green had the book on his coffee table, How to Win Friends and Influence the City. He didn't care. He just wanted it to be done the way Dallas did it. That's my number one manager of all time. My number one has to be Charlie. I mean, come on. I don't know where I would be with the sport of baseball without that run. I mean, who knows? If the Phillies continued to stink... Throughout that era of baseball, now granted they had a lot of talent, so who knows what they would have done with a different manager, I don't know, but they did win with him, and during that stretch, if they continued to stink like they did years previously, who knows if the Phillies would have impacted me the same exact Fair way. Fair question. I mean, uh, Pete and I, well, Pete, a little different. You're, I didn't realize you were going to be 50 this year. Jeez, Pete. Um, Thank you. Yeah, you're no <laughs> problem. Uh, when I grew up, the Phillies were downright awful they were just always always bad but i played baseball and loved the game of baseball so i stuck with them you're right like your group of fans if you didn't get introduced to the phillies in that charlie manual run what what might your fandom be i don't know yeah i mean i I would guess that i would still love baseball because i just love all sports at this point but it could totally be different if i never seen successful baseball You just don't know. So, yeah, of course, what he has done here is tremendous. I love the fact, Gil, that you brought up when he came back. People wanted him to be the manager as if he'd be able to just walk back in, say, screw you, Gabe Kapler, and he's able to just (laughs) deliver again. But uh, when he was here with that team, it was just amazing. Citizens Bank Park every single night. It was must-watch television. So, for me, it's definitely Charlie. Yeah, and look, um, I I have my number one, which is Joe Madden. I love Joe Madden. I think he is um, just, he's, 
you know, it, I'm so glad that he got out of that Tampa Bay situation because he got to manage. He got to real, and even in the American League, he really overmanaged an American League team. But you really got to see how good he was as a manager when he got to go to the Cubs, and he really became, uh, you know, Tampa Bay was a laughing stock before him. He turned the Rays into a contender year after year. He brings them to the World Series. Of course, they lose to the Phillies, but he does the unthinkable. He leads the Cubs to the World Series after a 108-year drought. Um, and it is Madden and the Cubs, you know, that you really got to see him on display. I, I loved him in Tampa. I thought that Rays story was really cool, that this team that nobody goes to watch, and he made them something. Uh, but Madden's coaching style and how brilliant of a manager he was was really on display when the Cubs won the World Series. You really saw what it meant to have a good, bright manager lead your team. And uh, Joe Madden, I love his personality. I love his style. I love the way that he manages. I love the way that he gets along with the players. Uh, I think it's a shame that he's ending up in uh, L.A. with the Angels because he's not going to get to manage anymore. He's just going to sit there and turn the lineup card in, unfortunately. Uh, but for those uh, years in Tampa where uh, he gave the Rays a person. He probably saved that franchise, to be honest with you. Who knows where they would be if they didn't all of a sudden get good and then winning the championship, the World Series with those Cubs. Joe Madden at the top of the list. And uh, Let me ask you this real quick, Gil, yeah. because it was possible to land Joe Madden this past year for the Phillies, and they got Joe Girardi, which is a, a great hire, of course. Would you have rather had Joe Madden? Or do you think Girardi might have a little bit no, I mean, a different stage, style? I think uh, at this stage, I mean, Madden's 66. I yeah, mean, he I'm hit not, a little bit of a wall there at the end. I think the Cubs fans, my buddy's a Cubs fan, and I think towards the end, they, like, they thought that he kind of mailed it in a little bit. You know, that maybe the National League game was starting to get to him a little bit. He needed to go back to the American League, put his feet up. So... No, I, I think Girardi was probably a better choice right now. I mean, if this was 10 years ago, I remember when the Cubs ended up getting him. I think it was right around the time when the Phillies hired Sandberg. And it was like, man, if, if he's like, you just hired Sandberg. You can't fire the guy after you just hired him in the middle of the season. I'm pretty sure that happened. It was like right there where that all kind of crossed over and happened. But um, Joe Madden loved his, just his personality, his coaching style, smart baseball guy. Uh, great relationship guy, all those, and that's why Joe Madden is number one on the list. I'm a big fan of Joe Madden, too. I mean, you know, uh, NBC Sports Philly just had the replay of the World Series, and you saw that seven-man infield. You know, that's something he would do. No, I don't know any other manager that does that in the World Series. Uh, he was an outside-the-box guy. It's great. He's at the top of my honorable mentions. Uh, Lou Pinella's on there, Tony LaRusso, Billy Martin. You mentioned uh, Jim Leland and Joe Madden. I put Larry Bow on there because I love his fire. Davey Johnson always impressed me with what he was able to do. Terry Francona, what Hunter said, and Joe Torrey. That's my honorable mention list. I have Alex Cora on my honorable mention list. I actually liked him before the whole Apple Watch thing started to get going. Aaron Boone is a fun watch as well. Buck Showalter, how about that? And uh, there's, my, uh, there's my honorable mention. Yeah, I went with Sparky Anderson. You remember old Sparky, the manager sure. of the, uh, of course, the Big Red Machine? And then uh, he was another guy with the Tigers. Right. He was the last guy who made the Tigers somewhat relevant. That was way back in 84. He's another guy, Sparky, who you could see uh, sparking a cigarette you felt like in the dugout the whole time. <laughs> uh, Trader Jack McKeon, what a personality that guy was. Oh, there's a good one. Holy yeah. mackerel. He's another guy that could suck down a couple heaters in the dugout for you. And then uh, polite guy, Tom Kelly, the old Twins manager. 
Uh, I just yeah, forever. When you thought of the Twins in that era, it was Tom Kelly. I mean, it was just Tom Kelly. He was the Twins. That was it. It was Kirby Puckett and Tom Kelly. Uh, they were the Twins when I was growing up. So Tom Kelly. Uh, on the list as well. A lot of people texted in some good ones today. There's a lot of great fun managers out there. A good conversation today. Top five at five baseball managers. Peter, I didn't realize you were going to be 50. I, nice I, I was fun. <laughs> I'm not 50 yet. <laughs> Soon. January. Yeah, I know what it is. All right, man. All right. Thanks. All right, there's the uh, MGPT Top 5. Sports Bash with Mike Gill. Weekdays from 2 to 6. South Jersey's number one sports talk radio show on 97.3 ESPN-FM. Uh, we hope the NBA is going to restart here soon. Uh, it's the final week of the month of June, which means we're about one month from the scheduled start of the NBA. I mean... There's this week, a full week, and then Monday, I think, is the last day in the month of June before we turn the calendar over to July. July 30th is when the NBA is scheduled to start, and when they do. What are some of the biggest questions for the 76ers heading into Orlando? Michael Kasky Blomain covers the Sixers in the NBA for CBS Sports at The Real Mike KB. He joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Let's start with that, though, MKB. Uh, with all the stuff going on, these you know different cases uh, of athletes, not just all over the place, but athletes, and specifically within the state of Florida, is there some concern about the NBA's return? Yeah, Mike, there, there's definitely a level of concern, especially given, like you just said, the growing number of cases in Florida specifically. Uh, you know, it hasn't reached the you know fever pitch point yet within the league where they're you know, considering changing the, you know, the situation or potentially not having the season. But, you know, like you said, there's still a full month until the season's supposed to begin. And, uh, you know, a lot could certainly change between now and then. And there is definitely, you know, at least concern within the league offices, given the, you know, the rising number of cases. So let's go to the Sixers then and kind of take a look at some of their questions as they get ready for this. Number one, uh, let's go to Ben Simmons. Where's Ben Simmons? What kind of shape is he in? Uh, kind of a, a murky conversation the other day from an article that Brett Brown essentially said, well, we hope to have him. It sounded as many reports suggested that he would definitively be back, and then you heard Brown not necessarily jiving with that. So did that give you some pause on Ben Simmons? What do we know about Ben? What do you anticipate from him? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think Ben will be good to go. I think Brett was trying to maybe temper expectations a little bit, given the fact that it's been such a long layoff and he's coming off of a you know a back injury that you know maybe he's not going to look necessarily like you know Ben Simmons at the peak of his powers like he did before the injury. But you know, when Elton talked to media members last month, he said that he fully expected Ben to be good to go when the season resumed. Uh, you know, the, there's been clips going around of, on social media of Ben working out with LeBron and, and other players in LA, and he looks, uh, you know, pretty healthy in those clips. He's throwing down some some dunks and, and everything like that. So I mean, he, he looks good. I think that the expectation within the Sixers is that he will be good to go. I think it's just a matter of you know how close will he be to being at his best at that point in Orlando. And I think Brett is probably just trying to you know keep the expectations somewhat in check. 
How about the fact that they will be playing away from the Wells Fargo Center? Is it possible that it actually helps them that no one will be in the stadium or the arena because they're going to have to just focus at a different level. I mean, it's going to be so weird. It's going to be so unique that maybe it's good for them to come together and say, we got to do this. Yeah, I think that's that's a great uh, you know possibility in the fact that it's, you know, they've been touted as a team that was built for the playoffs for so long. Now that they're finally presented with the playoffs in a setting, like you just said, where it's, you know, different. There's not going to be fans in the arena that they can rely on, like a home court advantage type thing. They'll really have to buckle down as a team. And there's, you know, for the Sixers specifically, I think there's a, a good chance that that could really benefit them in terms of getting, you know, the chemistry together and kind of helping them focus on the singular goal. Uh, you know, obviously they had some ups and downs during the course of the regular season, but being in a situation like this where they, you know, they're either forced to kind of buckle down and get on the same page or else they're going to be eliminated early, uh, you know, could obviously go either way and it's impossible to tell for certain. But, but, you know, it does seem like it will provide an opportunity for them to kind of, you know, gain cohesion and gel as a unit. Uh, Michael Caskey, blow me in. I want to go back to Simmons real fast. Uh, while he, while we feel that he will play, do you anticipate he's going to have minute restrictions, or do you see him thirty-five, thirty-eight minutes a game uh, once he comes back? Early on, Mike, he'll have definitely some sort of restrictions given the long, the long layoff. I think they'll use those eight regular season games. Uh, you know, as a good test for him to kind of ramp back up. I'm sure at the first couple games he'll probably be, you know, maybe even somewhere in the, the mid-20s and they'll try to ramp him back up. He was one of the leaders in, in minutes per game throughout the regular season. So obviously it might be a little bit down from the, the numbers that we saw him play throughout the course of the season. But I, I do think that, you know, it's it's a situation where they have those eight regular season games. They can't drop any lower in the standings really. And they, you know, maybe they'll climb a spot or two. But I think for them those games are really more important just to you know get the conditioning back up for all their guys Brett for Brett to you know figure out the roster and the rotation and how he wants to do it and you know kind of just get everything together for the postseason push so I think it'll be uh you know ultimately I think the goal is that they want him playing as close to as many minutes as he can handle in the postseason but early on they'll probably be you know limited to an extent so what does that do potentially for their starting lineup I mean obviously Ben would start but does that mean if he's only going to play some limited minutes that you don't start Shake Milton with him? I mean, how does that affect the possible starting lineup? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the most interesting questions, you know, about the Sixers right now, Mike, because they just have so many different options. You know, at the beginning of the season, it was, you know, pretty clear what the starting lineup was going to be coming in with, you know, the, the additions that they made over the summer. But at this point, with you know, after getting a sample size of 60-some games with, you know, the Al Horford and Tobias and the other guys they added at the deadline, you know, it's clear that there's, you know, some tinkering that needs to be done. And I think Shake was one player that kind of really was obviously coming into his own before the season was suspended. And I think he figures to play a big role. If it's a starting spot right away, I don't know. Like you said, it might be, you know, better for him and the team at this point if Ben's going to come along slowly to start, you know, someone else there and let Shake handle a bulk of the minutes after, you know, after when Ben comes off to get his rest. But, you know, either way, I expect Brett to probably tinker you know, a good amount during that first week or two back before the postseason starts to try to, you know, to try to nail something down because he didn't really have the opportunity to find a, a, a lineup that he seemed completely comfortable with before the season was suspended, due largely, obviously, to the injuries to Joel and Ben. 
uh, he was, you know, forced to tinker a lot. And I think now that the, the roster is, cl- you know, pretty close to fully healthy, he'll want to get more of a, you know, a solid rotation in place so the guys know, you know, exactly what their role is going to be and what's going to be expected of them, uh, you know, on a night-in, night-out basis. Mike Scott definitely had a down year this year, but towards the end, before the stoppage, he was actually playing some five, and it wasn't that bad. And I just, I wonder, do you think it's possible that he will be able to play any five in the postseason with Embiid playing 38 minutes a night, like Brett Brown said, having to implement Al Horford? Do you think that he'll pretty much just be a stretch four for the for the rest of the, the time here? There'll be, you know, situations, Brody, where there's, a, you know, chances to play him at a, at a small ball five, depending on the matchup. You know, obviously, if, if they do decide to move Al to the bench, he'll be the first big off the bench, But you know, once Joel goes out. But there are certain stretches of games, depending on the matchups, where obviously Brett will like to go small. And I think in that situation, you know, Mike is the perfect guy. He has decent size, he's a decent rebounder, and a decent floor spacer. And he could, you know, he's not going to get tons of, tons of minutes at that position but he's the type of guy that could eat maybe you know six or eight minutes at a time uh you know well if joel is in foul trouble or or not feeling great or al is in in a situation like that i think you'll see some spot minutes for it but mike is a guy that you know his his role is going to be largely based on i think how he responds to the minutes he gets like you alluded, alluded to it was kind of a disappointing season for him uh you know up until right before the season was suspended so i think he'll He'll be given an opportunity early on during those first uh, eight regular season games, and then you know, depending on how he's playing and depending on the matchup, I, I think you could see some some pin at the five spot for sure. Uh, I know we've seen video of Ben Simmons, and he's been working out. He looks like he's jacked. You know, he's dunking. But what about Joel Embiid? What kind of shape do we anticipate uh, Joel being in? He said recently to the Sixers that he's been working out uh, six times a week for several weeks, ramping up, just ready to, you know, preparing himself in case the league was going to come back. And obviously now since it's been announced that it was coming back. So, you know, at this point we have to just take him at his word. Obviously it's going to be a tough, you know, for him and every other player to get back into that game rhythm. But, you know, I think he's, he's a guy that's motivated now, uh, you know, he had a, just like Mike Scott did, he kind of had a, you know, an underwhelming year for himself. He said as much, uh, basically in that interview with the Sixers that he was kind of underwhelmed with his first half of the season, but he felt like he kind of turned a corner after the all-star break and was starting to play better and find a rhythm, uh, you know, that was obviously disrupted with the, the injury that he suffered right before the season was suspended. But, you know, I think he's mentally prepared to you know, go out and show people what he can do. And physically, he said he's been, you know, in the gym working out. So I'm sure he won't be in shape quite yet, like most players won't be. But, you know, he said he, he's been preparing. And at this point, we just have to, you know, take him at his word. Do you think that Brett Brown is coaching for his job this postseason run? That's yeah, it's such a difficult question because you know if if that had been the case if the season was completely normal and it had taken place on time and there wasn't the suspension I think the easy answer to that question would have been yes uh, you know if he had obviously if the Sixers had lost in the first round or the second round again during normal circumstances I think absolutely uh, at that point they would have looked to go but the way the the situation is now with the league and the schedule getting obviously pushed back and now the fact that there's you know, a much shorter gap in between when the Orlando season will end and the, you know, truncated off season and they want to get right back to the 2021 season, uh, you know, and potentially as early as the beginning of December, 
you know, that's tough to, to make a coaching change for a team with championship expectations. It would be, you know, a, a putting in an entire new system, offense, getting accustomed to a new coach uh, in a, obviously what will be a really short offseason. So I think, you know, at this point, it, it's really interesting to see. I, I do think some of it will be depending on how they perform still. Obviously, if they go out and get embarrassed and swept in the first round, you could probably say the threat would be gone. But if it's a similar situation to last year, where, you know, they get into a, a the second round or something and it's a dogfight and they end up losing, you know, at that point, do you, do you look to make a change with such a short offseason? You know, obviously, I don't know the answer to that question, but it's an interesting, you know, it's a layer that wouldn't have been there if the season had just continued normally. I think it would have been, a, you know, a lot more black and white to answer that question. But as it is, it, you know, it's tough to say. Uh, he's at the real Mike KB on Twitter. You can read his full article on the five biggest questions for the 76ers heading into Orlando at cbssports.com, and you can get that at the real Mike KB. And he was kind enough to join us here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Mike, take care, pal. Thanks for having me on, guys. You got it. That's MKB right here on the Sports Pass Live on 97.3 ESPN. And uh, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Don't forget, seize the deal for this incredible weekly offer from some of the fantastic local restaurants which are opening back up. Here's this week's first deal. Get a $50 gift card to the High Point Pub, North Shore Road in Apsekin, and you can get that for just $25. The High Point always has great specials, and you can enjoy late-night outdoor dining till 2 a.m. at the High Point. Get this great deal. It starts on Friday morning at 9 a.m. at SeizeTheDeal.com or click on the... I can dig it. I got five on it. Here we go. It's the five to get ready to wrap up today's show. All right, we are all over the place today with these five questions. Very random, all over the place. We will start with this. I know you had Trulies this weekend, which is the... the uh, we had a little bit of everything. Yeah, okay, but they're the opponent of the White Claws. Now, would you say you enjoyed the Truly over the White Claws? I could honestly say that I don't even think I could rank them. Okay, now that's fair. Some people just think that they all taste the same. I think they all taste very similar. I didn't have one that was more favorable than the other. I will say this. I had the worst case of dry mouth at the end. Like, my tongue was literally stuck to the top of my mouth. And so was, like, my girl as well. We both had, like, that's interesting. I mean, I never had that, but I wonder if I'm just, maybe one, I'm just used to it, or, I don't know, I I never personally had it, but I'm not doubting that it's possibly from that. You could have had some sort of of reaction to something that's involved. Yeah, I mean, I felt a little fluttery. So do you think you're... A little anxious, maybe? I don't know. Will you stay away from them because of that? I will say that... I'm not like, they stink, they're awful. But it's not something I would really be... I'm not excited about it. Okay, that's fine. No, we went Saturday, we went to the store and bought three different brands. Now, in your fridge, you sent me a picture in the fridge. Now, was that the good fridge or the bad fridge? That's the good fridge. I knew it was. So you put the Trulies in the good fridge. That's a statement. Because the IPAs were removed. Ooh. And now, are they in the bad fridge or are they in the fridge? No, they were done pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they were actually, you actually did damage to them. Oh, that's just from prior damage. Right. So these replaced. We got some high, uh, we got some white claws. We got some, it's funny how many people have been listening to this too. Because like people are like, oh, I've been hearing this white claw thing. 
Um, we got some White Claws, we got some Trulies, and we got some Vizies. Okay. Did now you, you, yeah, I've had them before. Yeah, the Vizzy. Yeah. Now they have vitamin C. They're supposed to be like a little bit more zip, like a little zip in it. Right. Now maybe that's what gave you the flutter. I don't know. Now you wanted the black cherry. I like the black cherry. I was going to ask you. Good. You enjoy. Oh, it. we got so we got all variety packs. We were trying every different taste there was. See, that's what I like about mango, you. pineapple, strawberry, kiwi. No, I love them all. See, I, a lot of my buddies are like, no, don't give me a lime, and they throw it back. It's like, dude, they're ruby, all grapefruit. Good. Yeah, I love the ruby. I love the grapefruit. Mm. Eh? None of them are like stand out. Okay, but if someone gave you one, you're going, eh, I don't want the lime. No, you just drink it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, we'll move on to the They're next. all average. Okay, that's I'm fine. not excited about any of them. But I respect the fact that you literally made the the effort to give them a shot. Well, I had no choice. No, but that's what I mean, I guess wouldn't. I did have a choice. Like, okay, I have an app that it will tell you if you can, if like the, whatever you're eating or drinking, what grade it is, right. A, B, C, D. So I could have had like a Michelob Ultra. And that would be the equivalent of... Oh, is that an A as well? It is an A. Okay, I like the Michelob Ultra. So I can... I wanted to give this a shot, and I gotta say, I'm not excited about the next ch- time that comes around. Okay. I probably am That's going fair, like though. an Ultra or a Light or something like that. All right. Well, I, I give you props for going out there and, and really giving it your all. Do you notice any difference? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Look a little slimmer. Uh, second question. Do you have any tattoos? Any hidden tattoos? No. no? Are you anti-tattoo? Or I'm just... not anti-tattoo. I just... I got a funny tattoo story I can try to tell real fast. So we're wasted one time in Cancun, Mexico. We decide we want to get tattoos. How all great stories start yep. continue. We decide we want to get tattoos. So my buddy's first. And he's like, what are we getting? And I said, a flying WV. So he has this flying WV tattoo on his arm. When I saw how bad it was in his face, I, I bailed on him. <laughs> Get out of here. I'm not going tattoo. Sorry. And he was like, well, you got to do something. So I got my tongue pierced. You went tongue pierced? I took it out about an hour and a half later. Wow. Yeah, All right. It was one of the worst decisions of my life, but I don't have that tattoo on my yeah, arm. Yeah, you're and right. he still does. And I texted him probably like two months ago. And I said, you still have that tattoo? Because it was really bad. And he sent me a picture of it. Oh, it's horrible. I would have got it covered up. It's all terrible. Yeah. I just have never felt strongly enough about something. No, I'm with you. See, it started out that way, but now I'm at the point where it's like, yeah, give me that one. Right. Like, for those of you who don't know, Broad's got full sleeve. Well, yeah. I mean, I want to start going. You should be able to throw. I say, if you're a guy who goes full sleeve and you're a pitcher, you better throw like 98 cheese. Well, good thing I don't play baseball because I ain't throwing 98 cheese. Real quick here, Utley Howard Rollins, your favorite one. Uh, I was always kind of a Howard guy. Yeah, me too. Were you a video games guy at all back in your college? Oh, prime? yeah. Would you sit there for hours? All day. All day long? Madden, MLB? Madden, uh, ML, uh, NL, uh, NBA Live. We did NBA Live tournaments okay. where we would pick it'd be you against another guy, and you'd pick every team in the league. He'd get half, you'd get half, and you'd play without telling you. you go one, two, three, and put the team down. And if you lost, that team was gone. Whoever lost all their teams first. And you right. can't use the same team twice in a row. I love it. We would that. do it all day. That's great. And you might need more time for this one. But if you had to get a dog right now, what kind of dog would you get? I'm not getting a dog. Yeah, see, I, that's the one thing I don't like about you. There's actually a lot, but that's the one that really bothers me. <laughs> There's actually a lot. <laughs> uh, I'd go lab. I'd go lab. What color? Black lab. <laughs> <laughs> 